Welcome into another episode of ESPN's NBL podcast. My name's Kane Pittman, and alongside me, as he is every Tuesday, the newsbreaker from ESPN.com.au, and he's still fired up from the weekend. Breaking news at after 11 p.m. You don't stop, Oggs. And what do you think you're breaking news at that hour of the day for? I was, I was asleep. I'm sorry. I had um, I had thought about holding it until the next morning, hmm. just to like see what's because I think they played the next day. Um, but I figured I had it. I managed to get it in before our editors went to sleep, um, and I was really happy about it because it would it got pretty well received. I was surprised so many people were up that late to be able to react to it at the time. It was Friday night, wasn't it? Okay, maybe I'm not have no idea. I've lost my days. Friday night sounds about right. It was ahead of the the 36ers bullets game. Well, it was three days before it became official as well, and Adelaide's been doing this weird dance around, not wanting to mention Ian Clark's name. Obviously, he's a player that Australian fans are familiar with, with what he did with the Sydney Kings, and I think we'll get to Ian Clark. We'll get to Adelaide. They had a, a nice win, really, over the Tassie Jack Jumpers uh, last night, and we will get to that game. Do you want to talk about the chaos in Gippsland on the weekend, though? Because... I was down there. You were at John Kane Arena because Melbourne United continued, I guess what you would call a resurgence for them. I know you've gone back and been able to watch this game, but I think chaos is the right word with everything that went down in this game. And it was honestly one of those days where when I got home and I thought about it and I watched the the replay again on ESPN and just the, the mini that they have, I was like, man, I, I'm pretty pretty lucky to go watch a game of basketball as a job because it, it was incredibly fun it, it just again I wasn't there it just looked like a really grungy sort of game you know like regional stadium um, you know not as many fans because the capacity is lower but the fans are like on top of you and so being able to watch Derek Walton Jr. put up his 40 plus performance and, and Mitch Creek put up his 40 plus performance um, Creek's emotions were like palpable through the screen um, in the, I was in, at John Kane Arena, and aside from the fact that the game kept getting delayed, they kept adding ten minutes. Onto <laughs> I kept the texting clock. you and saying, "Sorry, man, I just, you, you're gonna have to tell these players to wait another fifteen minutes." It was a four p.m. game. We ended up leaving the stadium at like eight p.m. at the end. Of it. it was just, it was absurd. Um, but it got to a point where the, the players kept going in and out of the locker rooms, and then they eventually put the the game on the big screen oh. for everyone to watch because it, it it saved the announcer from just saying. All right, guys, we're going to another overtime. They put the game on, and the entire crowd sort of like groaned when Derek Walton Jr. missed that three-pointer at the end. Um, it it was just an extremely fun game. Free throws, the fouls, I'm not the biggest fan of, um, but it sort of is what it is. In a game like that, that's like super physical, the crowd's on you. I get the refs sort of being swayed to, to having to, to try to control it, um, but the spectacle was a lot of fun. Yeah, Simon Mitchell said after the game when I inevitably asked both coaches what they thought of the officiating, Chase Buford politely declined uh, to comment, but clearly, as we saw through the game, he wasn't happy. I think, understand- Wasn't he? Yeah, I think understandably so. <laughs> uh, when you get the jacket, when you get the, the the coach rips off the jacket, that's that's when you know that frustrations are high. But jacket he- off, hold me back, Kevin Lish, hold me back. Good fun. He didn't get thrown out of the game, though. And But this was building throughout the entire afternoon Simon Mitchell was frustrated as well but Simon Mitchell said it right after the game when I asked him he said we don't know what's going to happen from game to game from week to week but then he also said I don't want that to be the story out of this game and he was exactly right because Mitch Creek was the story 
Derek Walton was the story. The injuries for the Phoenix were the story. The the players, yes, fouling out, but that was part of the story because then you got Owen, Owen Foxwell, Foxwell playing yes. uh, his role on Derek Walton, which looked like a complete mismatch. And yeah, Wal- Walton finished with 45 points himself, so maybe it was, but he battled hard and hit some big shots. So uh, that was the one quote from the post game that stuck with me when I was writing about this game after and all the reaction is there I know it was a few days ago but still worth reading some of the quotes from Mitch Creek you can do that at ESPN.com.au of course but yeah I just walked away and said yeah he's right if I'm going to write about this it can't be about the officiating today it can't be about the 79 free throws it has to be about what we saw on the floor because it was awesome the, the the free throws, the fouls, that is part of an ongoing trend of, I think, it's not bad officiating, I think it's just inconsistent officiating. Um, we saw it in the Melbourne game as well, there were, there were a lot of fouls in that game too, and again, just inconsistencies, like, you know, and even, you know, David Aquera was called for a travel in a, a gather that he's been doing all season, right, so little stuff like that, um, but the other big talking point from that Phoenix game was the injuries that mm. came out of it. So Xavier Cooks's one seems less serious. That that more seemed like a he had injured that ankle previously. He went out, tried it, didn't work out. Figured I'm not going to play this game. Right, so that doesn't seem like a a, a thing. Um, the ones from the Phoenix though seem significant. Um, at the at the very least, when it comes to seedings in playing games and for home court advantage and things like that, these are really important. So they've already lost Joe Chi. He's returned to China for family reasons. Uh, Gary Brown, we are told, and went, by the time this comes out, it should be uh, official by the Phoenix, two to three weeks with a calf strain. And then Ryan Brockoff, roughly two weeks with a hip complaint. And so those scans came back yesterday or today. Um, and so they're going to be without three key rotation guys for the next three-ish rounds. Um, and, and for a team that's sort of in the middle of that one to six, you, you kind of want to be in that one, one and two. I remember Simon Mitchell spoke about it the other day. He said, you know, playing until the end of a clock means, could mean the difference between the second and third. If you're in third, you're, you're, you're in a playing game, right? That's tough. That's volatile. You don't want to be in a playing game against the Perth Wildcats and maybe Bryce Cotton goes off that game, right? That's scary. And so this is, this is significant. And a lot happened last season as well. A lot is on Mitch Creek right now. So are you willing to rule them out of the top two today on... What is it? I don't even know what the date is. December 20. Are you willing to rule out the Phoenix from top two? So if I, so they, they are 11 and 7. Um, we're going to go through this right now. Let me, let, me, let me do this. I wrote it down. So we've got Brisbane on the road coming prepped. up. <laughs> yeah, I, I want everyone to know that I prepped for this podcast. Wednesday night, they're in Brisbane. By the way, Phoenix... Not happy about that at all. They were not supposed to play in this game. New Zealand's still dealing with the COVID stuff. The Phoenix are not happy. Yes. <laughs> about having to go to Brisbane in the middle of what is going to be a long road trip. So Brisbane on the road, then Adelaide on the road Christmas Eve, then Tassie on the road, then Sydney on the road, then Cairns on the road before they finally get home to play Brisbane. But their next three games are at the State Basketball Centre. They don't play at John Kane Arena again. So that is now, what is that, five games straight on the road. All those teams are good. Obviously, Brisbane should be a game you win. But when you add in the injuries, that makes things complicated. And those that road trip fits in that two-week window, two- to three-week window without those guys. So it would be miraculous if they finished top two. They're they are 11-7 and seven right now, and it is very feasible that they are 500 by the end of that road trip, um, especially because Adelaide is getting Ian Clark for that game. 
And so that's going to make them tough. They're playing really good basketball. Um, and it wasn't just that big win over Brisbane. That win over Tasmania was very real, I think. Um, and I, I, I want to talk about them a little bit too because they've sort of shaken things up by necessity and I think it's working. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a good chance that Southeast Melbourne is, what, 11 and... maybe 12 and 11, 11 and 12 by the end of that road trip. That's tough. That's a tough group of games, especially in Tassie. Tassie hasn't played many games at home. They're fighting for their spot in the top six as well. They're against a lot of hungry teams and they're going to be very undermanned. That's why getting that win on the weekend is just so vitally important. So, again, they're still in a pretty good spot for the top six, no question. Absolutely. But we both, for all the criticism we have had of that team in different aspects, and we don't need to bring it up. Perennial criticism, you could say. That's right. I wouldn't, no. Uh, They were still fully healthy to me, the second seed behind the Sydney Kings. And I think we saw it on the weekend. Obviously, it was a weird game. And no Xavier Cooks on Mitch Creek. Clearly, that changed that matchup a little bit there. But, you know, I still had the Phoenix up there. So you just have to cross your fingers now if you're a Phoenix fan and and hope that they stay stay healthy. And perhaps more than anyone, Ryan Brockoff. We've spoke about the importance of him to this team and he just has not been able to stay healthy. But Ian Clark, let's get to this. This was the big news over the weekend. And as I mentioned, Adelaide picked up a vitally important win last night. And as is the nature of this league, they're now tied with the Jack Jumpers at 508 and 8. Still 12 games to go for both of those teams. So plenty of time with Ian Clark. But one thing I did mention to you is that everyone automatically assumes that this is a huge signing. It's going to bring Adelaide back to being a contender. We saw what happened with Sydney last year. I, I agree. It's a fantastic signing, by the way, and exactly the type of guy that they wanted in terms of positionally but it's a very different situation to where Sydney was last year where they could be very patient he could come off he could play a role off the bench because the Kings were dominating the Adelaide are right in a fight they are in the middle of a fight and adding a guy that is going to play big minutes for this team is going to be a challenge so this is a team that's been through a lot already this season it's, it, might, it might take some time. Maybe it'll be perfect, but it's not as seamless as what it felt for Sydney last year. So we spoke about this off-air, and, and you brought up the fact that Ian Clark is going to have to do more to start when he, when he arrives than what he had to do in Sydney. Um, what do you think is the bigger obstacle? Is it the fact that he needs to sort of play himself into form? Because he hasn't played... I don't think he's played professional basketball since um, the Sydney Kings season ended. Um, or is it that he has to work his way into, I guess, like a group. And, and everything that we hear from his former teammates and from the people who've worked with him is that he's a high-character guy. Yeah. Everyone loves him. It's There aren't many people who sort of get a, a uni- universal praise from the people they've worked with. Um, what do you think is a big obstacle, though? Is it his own form, or is it fitting into a group that has a lot of sort of go-to guys, a lot of alphas on their team? Yeah, it's a good question. I Just quickly on the being a, a good bloke, factor with Ian Clark uh, was watching the game alongside or close by Chris Pongrass CEO of the Kings the other day and he did mention that he called him because naturally <laughs> I said hey how are you feeling about Ian Clark going to Adelaide it has to be a little bit um, bittersweet given what they went through and he said yeah he called and, and let me know and I think he made a few other phone calls as well so yeah. uh, top guy I think that the issue it's not it's not so much to do with Ian Clark at all because he's proven himself to be a, a professional over a long period of time but Adelaide are still figuring it out so yeah. it's it's more challenging for CJ and he's been very aware of it and he's spoken about it but he's still working out his rotation which guys fit you know obviously Sunday Detch has played 
oh, his minutes hasn't changed as much as uh, Drimic. But now they're going to have to work through that again. Uh, what are they doing at the five spot? We know why Daniel Johnson originally came out of uh, the starting lineup. Uh, some illness that nobody wants to uh, go through. But then Kai Soto comes in and I thought it looked pretty good. One of his better games last night. So it's more just the entire 36ers now having to continue to shuffle the decks again after what has been a challenging period post Craig Randall of just figuring out where everyone fits. Look, I think I think Clark helps them. It was what they wanted in Randall initially, which was a dynamic creator on the perimeter. And Craig Randall was that is because you can't you don't know what you're going to get out of Mitch McCarron every night and every night, right? He's not the same sort of player um, who's going to be out there and be super explosive and, and give you creation from the perimeter in that way. Um, so I think he helps there. One thing I want to run by you, and this is something you brought up a few weeks ago, mm. which I was sort of iffy on. I wasn't, I wasn't ready oh, to. Yeah, I know. I you know, know where you're going. I know you do. I'm happy about this. Yeah, I know you are. Um, I wasn't ready to go all in on it then, but I think I am now. I think Kai Soto should start for this team. Um, we saw last night against Tasmania, and granted, Tasmania is not a big team, so that has to be said. But they had Will Magna out there, and but Kai Soto brings this. At the very least, a defensive presence, right? He he he's not great guarding pick and rolls, as is Daniel Johnson, right? And by the way, who is at seven foot three? That's <laughs> a hilarious excuse. Just it's it's fine. You're seven foot. Don't guard pick and roll. It's not. It's, 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 it's I mean, not his. Just, I don't know. I don't know what it's like to be seven foot three, but I imagine yeah. it's a little more difficult to move. And everyone's laughing at me. No, I'm not seven foot three. Yeah. But I imagine it's a little more challenging than it is for a, a little fella. Of course. But at the very least, he offers some protection at the rim, right? And I think that's really helpful. And not only that, he is someone who can rim run a little bit. He can finish above the rim. His touch around the rim is looking really good right now. I really like the idea of Kai Soto being a permanent fixture in that starting lineup, allowing him to sort of be that complimentary guy. And then Daniel Johnson can come off the bench and they can go through him, which is what they did. He got to the free throw line. He was making shots. Imagine having a team that has Kai Soto in the starting lineup and then Ian Clark and Daniel Johnson coming off the bench. I think that the balance works out better that way because then you don't have that clash with Rob Franks and Daniel Johnson as well. I'm very I'm very all in on Kai Soto being in the starting lineup. It do, it has felt at times with Franks and Daniel Johnson on the floor at the same time that they're kind of wanting to get to the same spots and score in, yes. in similar ways. So I, I agree. Even though Kai Soto only played 14 minutes and... I'm not just being stubborn because you mentioned that I said this a few weeks ago. I actually said it in the preseason. So, I'll, look, that was a little bit I'm earlier. giving you so much props here. Just take it, bro. I know, I, and I appreciate it. But So so you think that Ian Clark uh, will come off the bench moving forward as well? I, I don't mind that. And I, I think that he's proven, certainly last year, that he would be willing to do that, which is what you love. And that that is the difference between what it was at the start of the season. There was no... It didn't appear from the outside that there was any willingness to concede to do what's best for the team, cliche, whatever. Mm. Uh, but it feels like Ian Clark might do that. And I, I will just, before I throw it back to you, I will quickly mention, this is why when they won a couple of games after Randall left and you start to hear, I don't think they need an import. It's just so silly because, of yeah. course, they need an import. And if there's an injury, we've seen what happens with the Phoenix. You don't just leave. If you're trying to win a title and you've gone all in with Cleveland uh, and, and Franks, you're not leaving an import slot empty. And we saw last year with the Kings... Jalen Adams hurts the hamstring. Clark says, oh, right, I'll just come in and I'll clinch the title with 21 points in Game 3 or some something like that. He was outstanding. So, uh, right move to get an import. Took a little while, but you think he might come off the bench. 
I think so. And so, a few things. To start, for sure, obviously. Yeah, so a few things. Um, firstly, I don't understand the delay from the 36ers. They lost some really winnable games in that stretch in which they were looking for an import. And they've like also, to be quite frank, been looking for an import since the preseason. They've been looking for Craig Randall's replacement for a pretty long time, before they got rid of Craig Randall. And Ian Clark has been available that entire time. And so the fact that they waited this long could hurt them. It could mean that they don't make the top six, or if they do, they're going to be in a really disadvantageous position. Um, so that's the first thing. The second thing is, I think they're getting really good minutes, good complimentary minutes from Anthony Drimmick, from Sunday Detch, even from Nick Marshall. And so I like the idea of, you know, not overloading that starting lineup, especially with stars. Um, Ian Clark isn't, he's a good spot-up shooter, but he wasn't the best spot-up shooter. And so I like the idea of him running the show, running that second unit. And so, you know, you can sit Mitch McCarron or you can throw him in the corners, but you can sit Mitch McCarron for, you know, extended periods of time because Ian Clark is good coming off those on balls and running an offense. So I like that a lot. And so that's I, that's what I imagine is going to happen, that they can keep their starting lineup of, of McCarron, either Sunday or Anthony Drimmick, um, Cleveland, Franks, I think Soto. Um, and then you can have, you know, Again, the other of Sunday and Dreamick coming off the bench with Ian Clark. I, I think they have a lot of weapons now, and I, I feel like that's the best way to balance it. Otherwise, I think it's the same situation, the, the issue we have with Franks and Johnson being on the floor at the same time. Is it, uh, those those guys become redundant because they're not sort of they're not used to being those complimentary guys. I want Ian Clark to have the ball in his hands and for him to create. I like it. I want to get to the MVP discussion because I believe you're in at some point in time. I don't know whether you've pitched this story, so... I I, I have a story incoming okay. in a day or two Okay. on my sort of where I think the awards races are at this point in time. Well, it's going to be great and I'm intrigued. But Thank uh, you. I think the MVP discussion... My reputation <laughs> precedes me. Thank you. Uh, that's right. I think the MVP <laughs> discussion is, is the one I want to get into a little bit, but we can lead ourselves in there by talking about the Cairns Taipans first, just, just really briefly, because we just need to dis- dispel a little bit of a myth here when it comes to the Taipans, who I think for... If, in a lot of circles, you listen to people talk about the Taipans and they say, man, offensive firepower. This team is awesome. They can outscore everyone in the league. Well, they're actually ranked 8th in offense right now and they're the number one defensive team yeah so and they play fast which means that yeah they're going to be in some high scoring games what are they second in pace yeah they're they're in the top couple I haven't checked Uh, well actually I've got it right here I can check but yeah they play fast so this is where it comes into like the points per game debate and all that kind of stuff yeah if you're playing faster the tight ends play faster than the New Zealand breakers naturally they're going to score more points I mean that's that's general that's pretty basic description of what goes on but that's the reality but just because you're scoring more points doesn't necessarily mean that you're an efficient offense technically if you're playing uh different ways so the tight bands are eighth but number one defense and i just think it's worth mentioning what this team's done on the defensive end because certainly in the first few weeks of the season they look like a team that was going to have to outscore teams to win mm. It changed, obviously, when Tajir McCall went out. And I'm not saying that him being out helped this team, but Shannon Scott came in. felt like the identity changed a little bit. And now McCall's come back in. I think he fits. And this team has proven that they can win games by scoring 80 points, 75 points in, in grinded-out fashion. And it's one of the things that I think helps a Keanu Pinder MVP case. Um, even though I don't think he's number one right now, he's my number three, which, and we're going to talk about this. But he is a big reason why the Cairns Taipans are really good defensively. It's because 
he makes them really switchy. Not every team can switch one through five. With Keanu Pinder's mobility, his athleticism, his ability to stay in front of smaller guys, he is, I think, what, what makes them so tough on that end. Having a team where, you know, you could be coming off an on-ball, guarded by Tajim McCall, and then you come off that and you're guarded by a long, athletic, um, you know, mobile presence in Keanu Pinder, that's really tough to score on. And so he helps them a lot. He makes them very, very switchy. Um, and I think that's what, that's the key to their success so far. Um, and I get it that their pace is, is really high, but they're not, they're not making shots at, at the level that we thought they would. Um, actually, you know what? They sort of are. We said that they would be potentially an erratic offensive team and they like, they almost are. I, I didn't see the signs of them being so good defensively, mm. um, which was a mistake in hindsight because of the personnel they have. You know, from Tajir McCall to Bull Kowal to DJ Hogue to Keanu Pinder. I think Sam Warnenberg is maybe the, the one sort of guy who is, still needs to improve on that end. But, you know, a guy like Majuk, Majuk Deng that can come in. You know, they have so many weapons. Um, you know, Shannon Scott, who can switch. They're long. They're, they're big. Um, and so, like, I think what they're doing is pretty real right now. Yeah, I'd agree. And you got to defend. We keep saying it, but you got to defend in this league. So MVP then. So you mentioned Keanu Pinder. I agree. Uh, I don't have him in my top two. I would have to really sit back and think about three and four. But I've got four guys, and I'll throw to you. I've got four guys. I don't know who your... I think our top three is the same. Yeah. I don't know who your fourth is. Cooks. Yes. Creek. Yes. Pinder. Yes. Cotton. Yeah. One amendment, I think. Cotton, great, right? As in, if he was not on their team, they are down there with Illawarra. They might not have won a game. <laughs> it's it, it could have been bad if he didn't step up. And he looks so dangerous every game. Um, the, the one I'll say, and I feel like recency bias is coming in here because Cotton has been great and we haven't seen the New Zealand Breakers playing so long, but I still, I'm still leaning into my Derek Pardon take. Um, I think he is in the conversation. But I do agree that Cotton deserves to at least be part of that because of his impact. Because he is, quite literally, the most valuable player on his team. If I don't know if the Wildcats would still exist as a franchise if he, <laughs> if he wasn't playing this season, right? It, has, it, could, it could be very dire for that team. Um, there, there is talk right now about that top three, right? Which I think that top three is pretty locked in, right? Cooks, Creek, Pinder, in some order. Um, what's, what's your argument... For Xavier Cooks as that number one, as opposed to Mitch Creek, who's been scoring a little bit better, and Keanu Pinder, who has been filling the stat sheet in other ways too, also on a good team, on the best defensive team. Yeah, it's interesting because I think that the Kings are still figuring things out. I think they're fifth in offense after the weekend. Obviously, we've discussed the fourth quarter stuff. Again, they're on top of the table, so no one is panicking in Sydney, but I think by their own admission, they haven't quite uh, hit top gear yet. Cooks, he's averaging 16, 8, and 4, but we know his impact far outweighs the traditional box score stats. He's plus 104 on the season, which is fourth in the league. And the interesting thing is, when you look at the top three guys in individual plus minus, and people are... I don't know why people completely... You don't need to completely disregard it. It's meaningful in lineups with individual players. But the thing that's interesting with this, he's plus 104. The top three guys are all from New Zealand, which makes sense because the starting lineup in New Zealand has been awesome. Yes. But the second player for plus minus with Sydney is Tim Suarez at plus 73. And then you go all the way down to Angus Glover at plus 53. So when you've got such a discrepancy between the number one player and the number two player, it tells you that this team is awesome with Xavier Cooks on the floor. And when he's off the floor, 
things get a little bit sketchy or they at least come back to the pack. Offensively, they're 3.8 uh, possess, uh, points better defensively and 3.1 uh, points better on the offensive end per 100 as well. And overall, 14.2 is, is the adjusted net rating. I mean, he, when he's on the floor, the Kings look like they're going to win the title. And he, I think he passes the eye test too. When you see him out there, you can see how valuable he is on both ends. Offensively, you can run the offense through him in a number of ways. You can throw it into him. Him coming off on balls. Um, like I, One of the most dangerous things in the NBL is, is a Xavier Cook's DJ Vasiljevic you know, pick and roll or pick and pop, right? It's one of the toughest things to guard. And then he is also elite defensively. We saw... I, I, I totally trust that Mitch Creek would have had an outstanding performance. But, yeah. if, but if Xavier Cooks didn't sit out the rest of that game... Uh, which also hurts his averages because he what he had zero points in his well he's actually couple minutes he, he's actually missed only one game this year but he only played a quarter and a half in New Zealand then he played seven minutes sure. so yeah that that that's a good point you make those two games obviously bring the the stats down totally um, but the reason but part of Xavier Cook's value is his ability to guard those wing type players then that's that's super valuable in the NBL that's what it's what you want out of that sort of player um, and so. What Mitch Creek was able to do to Sydney, I think, helps his MVP case, but also bolsters Xavier Cooks' MVP yeah. case as their sort of key defender guarding those key positions. But I think Creek, uh, because everyone's going to talk all NBL, and we did it and we said that, okay, first of all, you you messed up. Yeah. Because all three guys should be in the first team. But, Absolutely. You know, for me, if I was making a final decision, I would have Creek and Cooks and Pinder very very unlucky and that's he's been awesome yeah again he is one of the key cogs for the best defensive team in the league like Keanu Pinder has been great he is unguardable in some instances um it's it's just a I, I wonder if the NBL is gonna hope my hope is that they sort of crack to the pressure and just just do the normal thing and have two guards and three forwards and and allow that to be the case um but I don't think that's gonna. I don't think that's gonna happen. I hope it does because someone like if you're in the top three in the MVP conversation, you shouldn't be in the second team. Uh, we love a bit of peer pressure from time to time on this podcast, so we'll we'll see if we can get them to change <laughs> that before the season's out. For some reason, I think it probably won't happen. Uh, so right now, do we have it down to seven teams for the top six? Or are you still holding out? Some kind of hope for some kind game. of miracle with Melbourne. It's not seven teams. It, Melbourne United right now is playing at the level of a top three or four team. That's that's what their team looks like currently. Uh, have they dug themselves too deep of a hole at this point in the season? Um, especially going into a lot of road games? Probably. Potentially. But at the very least, what they look like is a team that should be in the top six. Um their team healthy with Shea Illy back, with Marcus Lee in the lineup, with Rajon Tucker made, having made those improvements, they they look like one of the best teams in the league right now. Um, and I, I, that's that's just a fact. The only problem is that they started the season pretty horribly and they lost some really, really winnable, not just winnable, but like they threw away some, some games um, in the past few weeks um, to the point where if they had beat Perth like they should have and if they had beaten... Tasmania, like they should have, and they had those games won. Uh, what would their record be? They'd be ten and n- nine right now, right? They would be 
in the they'd be the, the fifth best team in the league standings wise and so I'm still holding out some hope because they because of what they look like this isn't just holding out hope because they're Melbourne and because of their history no this is because of what they're doing right now they look like a really functional organized basketball team they better win on Friday night the open air game if they don't win that they're done I'm, I'm they, they're finished because not only are they 8 and 11 and outside the top 6 or outside the top 7 uh, but they've played more games than any team in the league they've already yep. played 19 games so they've only got 9 games left so you think yep. yeah they're playing basketball but they're seriously running out of time and after this open air game they've got 7 straight on the road including 2 trips to New Zealand a trip to Sydney a trip to Tassie and a trip to Adelaide like again Melbourne and South East Melbourne and that's why South East Melbourne did such a fantastic job to ride out these first yes. uh, and it was a one and five start for the Phoenix but they've they've won the games that have been close like they won on the weekend Melbourne didn't do that and that's that's what I think could be the difference between these two teams even though overall I think the Phoenix are better than Melbourne but that just goes to show that they wasted those games and now with only nine remaining and all those road games uh, yeah if you like you say they're playing like a top three team not sure I'm quite there but if they're if they're playing to that level they're going to have to yeah, and, and I agree. The sign of a really good team is, is winning the games that you should win, right? You, you can't drop those those gimmies. That's, that's, that's how you fall out and ultimately your season ends. Um, the only thing I'll say is that there's, there's a game in Brisbane there for, for Melbourne, but also when I look at against Tasmania, against Cairns, those can sort of count as, you know, those double wins because they're the teams that they're sort of fighting for, for those, you know, four, five, six, seven range. And so wins against those are extra important mm-hmm. because they're the teams that you're trying to overlap and, and a loss for them is... So it, it sort of it means extra. And so, again, I just I think they're playing really good basketball. Um, obviously, Italy helps out a lot. Obviously, having a backup for Isaac Humphreys um, and vice versa, those two can just switch in and out. They're the two best shot blockers in the league right now, right? I, I haven't looked, but I, I imagine they're the two best with the two best block percentage guys in the league too. They're, they're tough to score on. They're leaning on their defense, and then offensively, they look really organized. I, it, it is a, it's a shame that they started the season so poorly and dropped a lot of winnable games. All right. We'll both be there Friday night. I've actually, you know, I've never been to an no NBL. No, I've never been. I've, I've only lived in Melbourne for three months, but an open-air game with this weather well, just we sounds know, like the stupidest idea. We know you've only lived in Melbourne. Melbourne. You were telling us before that you went to a trip to Melbourne. What, uh, Melbourne? Yeah. It's Melbourne, mate. Uh, honestly, fair thinking. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you jumped on a couple of trams and you think that you're a local, but it's very evident the, that you've got some work Kane, to do. Kane, I took the 78 to get here. All right? I'm a, I'm a, lo- I'm a local. Well, right? I get my fruits from the Paran market. What do you think about Mikey carts? They're great. I use them to catch the trams and also the trains. Mm. And also, as I learned on the weekend, a bus. I don't, I don't do buses. Um, but I was, by necessity, I had to get a bus because one of the roads was closed. Um, boy, live, what, a, what an exciting time. I live near St. Kilda Road and, and Fair Dinkum. The, the, the roadworks around that area is just carnage right now. There have been replacement buses and it's just a shit show. Are we allowed to say that, Walshie? You get, you get, you get two, two a year is what I was told. I've used my one. I think I've got one in the bank. Uh, all right. <laughs> but yeah, an open-air game in Melbourne where, where the, the weather is just like perennially... It's just constantly changing. Um, where like I see blue skies in the distance as a singular cloud hovers over my head probably just like not the ideal place to do it but fingers crossed yeah yes and I'm looking at my phone right now my iPhone 6 uh, which is able to pull up the weather 23 degrees and sunny 
Friday. That sounds like a lovely night to go to the basketball. So I'm looking forward to it. I'll tell you what else I'm looking forward to. And we recorded this a little bit early today because Joe Ingles making yeah. his return with the Milwaukee Bucks or making playing his first game with the Milwaukee Bucks, we should say. Uh, it will be a little strange to not see him in a Utah Jazz uh, uniform for sure, but they are going to New Orleans. And we obviously, by the time people are listening to this, the game will be over. But they're going to New Orleans. Dyson Daniels will be involved as well. But big picture, uh, what do you think about Joe Ingles with the Bucks? Because uh, I think they clearly invested. They gave him the, the mid-level exception as the around $6.5 million deal. That was the only real salary slot they had. So they believe he's going to be a difference maker. But of course, when you are of the vintage of Joe Ingles, there are question marks and people are very quick and willing uh, to, to rule you out or, or write you off. But uh, what do you think about Joe? Of course, you found a way to talk about the Bucks on this podcast. Big game. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think he helps them. The sort of... Uh, would you say that Chris Middleton is fragile? Like physically? Or at the very least, like he he has inconsistent. His ability to stay healthy is inconsistent, and so I think, based on what we know about Joe Ingles and the way he plays, and the fact that I think his game ages really well, um, and the fact that he's shown it in the playoffs before, the idea of having him as a a backup creator, obviously his spot up shooting is, is elite, um, but just the idea of if if Chris Middleton goes down again for let's say two three weeks and at least not everything is on the back of, of Giannis and Drew Holiday, right? I, I see potential Ingles and Tedekumpo pick and rolls in the same way that we saw Ingles go bare pick and rolls because I think Joe Ingles is elite coming off those on balls. And so I, I think he can fit in a lot of ways. He's probably the ideal plug-and-play guy in the NBA because of his skill set, because of his size. Um, you know, he isn't... A deceive a deceptive defend uh, deceptive deceivingly good defender. I got mm. there, mm. um, and I, I just think his skill set just like fits everything that the the Bucks could use. I agree. And look, Utah for all those seasons during the regular season were up in you know the top one or two or three teams offensively, and Joe was a big part of that. Yes. Super smart player, and it's obviously exciting with the World Cup coming up, uh, and also the Olympics next year as well. Which I would imagine Joe very much still has his. Uh, I set on those two tournaments there so it's going to be fun to watch which by the way before we wrap this up last point I wanted to make when we were talking about Melbourne but I brought up the Boomers uh, CG played game 400 on the weekend we know he hit his 1000th three a few weeks back <laughs> this man is on fire he is I, I said it way earlier in the season I said he should be on the Olympic team yes but he, he does not look like he's slowing down we know the Melbourne offense has had some issues through the season uh, but he looks superb he's averaging over 20 points per game since Shea Ali came back. And, and he, Chris spoke about that in the presser, about having the familiarity with Shea Ali and that continuity. And just he, he's able to get to his spots better and he's able to get those looks better when, when he's in an organized environment. And I think the boomers are that sort of environment too. And so I think he can really excel in, in that sort of space. Um, and then Dean Vickerman said after the game too, and I agree with him, these are, these past two or three seasons have been Chris Golding's best defensive seasons. Hmm. Um, we saw him sort of haggling... Uh, Tyler Harvey in that game against the Hawks we've seen him sort of use his length and his ability to stay in front a lot better than previous years I, I think it used to be a knock on him and now I think it's something that he's like pretty decent at and so you know that's a big part of it too he's 35 I think 34 35 but he's still able to make an impact on both ends um, and I think that's like, that's super impressive the fact that he can still be the go-to guy on a and on an NBL team that at this moment is playing quite good basketball, 
Like, it, it, I think that's impressive. And I think he's not a... Sh- I want to say he's not a shoe in for the Boomers, but I think he's, like, very likely to, to get in there again. 34. That's right. Uh, look, I aged him. Damn. He's a, he's a young-looking man. I, I would have thought he was 32, so there you go. But, so, yeah. All right, Kane. Not, I'm not trying to suck up to CG if you're listening, but no, you're playing great basketball, mate. Well done. And Melbourne United winning games. All right. Wednesday night. Well, actually, there's hoops just non-stop for this next Doesn't week. Doesn't stop. So there's hoops tonight. Literally all you have to do. Who's playing tonight, Alex? Good not, question. I'm not great at my job. There's no question about it. I, I don't know who is playing tonight, but... Uh, no, I got you. You got Cairns at Perth. Oh, lovely. Which is... Intriguing. A, well, a, they're all intriguing. Every game... sort of, Every game... If it was Brisbane, Illawarra... You know, like I'm, okay. I may or may not watch that. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Okay. But every other game, I think, means something. Whether it's to do with seeding, whether it's getting into the plan, every game means something. This one has that little extra element of Adam Ford having yet to win in Perth since leaving Perth as an assistant coach. I think he's 0-9. Mm. And so he's going into Perth, Perth needing to, you mm. know, stay in that, that play-in area. Cairns looking to continue to bolster their season and sort of avoid being in that 4-5-6 four, five, five, range. Um, and then Adam Ford trying to get a win in, in Perth, his first win since he left. Yeah, and Melbourne United fans will be going for the Cairns Taipans in this game. There's no doubt about that. They would love the Wildcats to lose this one. And then Wednesday night, uh, as we mentioned, no New Zealand. Still waiting for them to get healthy and get back in place. So it's Brisbane Bullets and Southeast Melbourne Phoenix. After that game, going straight to the jump, we'll have a player from the winning team. If I had to make a tip, I would say still the Phoenix, but they got players missing, so who knows? So make sure you watch the jump after the NBL on Wednesday night as well and then we'll keep rolling I don't know if we're in this I don't think we're in the studio next week are we Zoom we're not in next Old week school. and then we're probably I'm probably not in here for the next few weeks what the hell do you think you're doing there's no games in Melbourne I'm going to exist in Sydney there are games there I can go to Illawarra games I can go to Sydney games that's just a smart decision Kane you've just been waiting for your opportunity to leave this fine city it's disgraceful okay. yeah I just I don't I want to drive my car again well, we might get you replaced on the podcast. Uh, Don't do for that. Those few- <laughs> Don't do that, Kane. Alex, I'll see you at the basketball on Friday night. Yes. Bye, Kane.